Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show Is All About You, a show that is about how you and me connect as we and what that means for all of us. I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. You can find out more about me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com, or on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up J.D.K. Winnikin, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me probably a little picture of there uh, of me ready to chat with you. Uh, so reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, welcome to episode 22 of the show. We are kicking off a new month, uh, month of June 2021. Uh, today is June 7th, and we are starting a month-long look at history. Now, it's a very, very broad topic, and it's one that's uh, especially close to my heart as I'm a professional historian by background. I have a PhD in it. And so I can talk about it all the time. And for people who know me well, they know I will talk about it all the time. And if you throw something in front of me, I will keep talking until somebody stops talking. It stops me talking. Uh, But there's a reason why I chose it for this month, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, But I always start every show with a haiku. And today's haiku to frame today as well as the month as we take a look at history and its importance in our lives uh, goes like this. Stories of our past can show us today's choices while tomorrow waits. Stories of our past can show us today's choices while tomorrow waits. And so when we talk a little bit about history, what do we mean by that? Now, here's, here was my thinking. Last week, at last week's show, talking about Memorial Day, I had mentioned that, uh, you know, w- when we honor those who have died in service of the country on Memorial Day, I suggested that in a lot of ways that could be even more of a compass point for us to reflect on our shared experience as a nation, the shared ideals that we have as a nation that we maybe have in our families, in our relationships with other people. That could be a better compass point than maybe something else in sort of the big national consciousness like the 4th of July. And the idea came to me literally in the middle of last week's show that since the 4th of July, the nation's birthday, Independence Day is on July 4th, why not do a whole month of lead up to the nation's birthday by talking about history in the context of the nation that we live in here in the United States, uh, but also our own personal histories, the relationship between how we can understand history and engage in history on the national level, local level, something outside of ourselves, and what that has in common with how we confront face and work through our own personal histories, whatever that might look like, whatever might be involved in that. Because I'm going to suggest here and talk about throughout the month that they aren't all that dissimilar from one another, that how we confront our own past, how we confront our own personal histories can look really similarly to an effective way to approach and engage, say, our national history which, of course, there are a lot of discussions and debates going on about elements of our national history right now and have been for quite some time. And so I just thought it might be an effective way to spend the month of June taking a look uh, at that relationship, the relationship between how we understand our personal histories and work through them and learn from them and how we can see that played out on a larger scale. And really what that does then is just like I say at the top of this show every week, it takes you and me and connects us into we where our own individual experiences can have something in common with those of each other and maybe even more broadly into our neighborhoods, our cities, our states, our nation. So that's really where we're going to go. And that was the, that was sort of the, the impetus for talking about history. So 
let's uh, let's dig into this. Uh, I've I certainly have some things planned that I want to talk about. I'm also um, not averse to <laughs> just going off on ideas and tangents that come to me, uh, particularly historical events to talk about. But uh, let's start in this one spot. I personally, and I've thought this for a really long time, and I've said it in front of groups of students and adults of all ages many, many times, that I think the appeal of history, particularly when it is done well, uh, written well, performed well, you know, on stage or in movies, is that everyone has an innate understanding of its value. Now, depending on how you learned it as a kid, you may have differing opinions than that. There is no other subject, I think, in school that can be ruined for somebody more uh, profoundly and thoroughly than history if it is not taught well. And because oftentimes when it is taught, it can be taught as simply a collection of facts. Here are these facts about such and such a thing. Why are we learning these facts? You might ask the teacher. Teacher says, because they're important. Well, why are they important? Well, because they're important, <laughs> right? It's, it can be really difficult to connect with the importance of certain events. That's the challenge that every single history teacher has. It can also be, on a personal level, can be a really similar challenge. What, do, what value does my own personal experience have for me that I grew up in such a location or that I went to such a place or that I had this experience as a kid? Those similar questions can be asked, and sometimes it can be hard, just as hard to grasp the importance of them as it would be to understand why do I need to know who Benjamin Franklin was and what he did and why. The thing is, though, about history is I think the reason why everybody has this innate desire, at least if nothing else, to be interested in it is because we all have our own history. Whether we know whether we should value it or not or how to value it or not is not the issue. The issue is we want to. There is something about stories, particularly stories that are true and stories that have happened in certain places that draw people to them. And we certainly, if you think about it in our own lives, what are the things that we tend to commemorate as individuals? We pay attention to our birthdays for a reason, right? So dates matter in history. I used to tell my students this and it used to drive them crazy. Yes, dates matter. You need to put them down to the best of your memory because it's important that you know that World War I happened before World War II. <laughs> and you need to show that you know that. But we, if you think about it, we pay attention to birthdays. We pay attention to shared experiences around things like family holidays or commemorations, weddings, funerals, parties, graduations. We tend to look for these spots in time that we then use as measurement to kind of take a look at the broad scope and course of our own lives. And we do give them meaning. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that today because um, sometimes meaning uh, can drift into myth. <laughs> that, can be, that can be a danger on a personal level as well as a national level. But more or less what I'm getting at here is that everyone and everything has a history which is what makes it relatable, or at least potentially relatable. One of the things that I, I chuckle about is whenever I'm visiting with my dad, some subjects will come up and he'll ask questions about something or somebody will ask questions and, and he'll just say, he'll sit back and go, well, let's find out. And he, then he goes to the Google machine <laughs> and, and he loves to look things up. He loves to look them up and read about them and learn about them. And 
So everything has that. And he has this curiosity that I honestly think that if he got interested in some element of dressmaking in 15th century rural France, he would look it up (laughs) just to learn about it. But everything has a history, academic and otherwise. Because it is a larger part, all those things are, of a larger human story. And what's fascinating about history when you start to get into it is when you learn something new that you didn't know before, you end up going, hey, wow, didn't, why didn't I know that before? And you add something else to your own experience and your own understanding and your own perspective that ideally can improve your outlook on life and outlook on yourself, that type of thing. So, so what is history. Let's just start there. A lot of people say it's a collection of facts about the past. Well, that's part of the scaffolding of history, but that's not history itself. If history was just a collection of facts, all we would need to do to learn it would be to open up our trivial pursuit games, take out all the cards, and read and memorize all the yellow ones, (laughs) all the different historical facts. That's That's all we would need to know. But that's only part of the scaffolding. History itself is an interpretation of those facts. And the way that I decided to summarize it was was essentially a way, it's more of a conversation, an ongoing conversation and exploration about the meaning of facts. The meaning of them then, when they happened, and their meaning today. And those things sometimes can change. A number of professional historians and philosophers have said for a very long time that for history to be appreciated and studied and embraced in the present, it has to be usable, which means people have to be able to see themselves in it and find something usable in it today. So for that reason, you could say, for example, um, yesterday was the anniversary, 75th anniversary of D-Day. That's a historical event that a lot of people know about, that a lot of people recognize as decisive in the history of the Second World War and therefore in the the contours of of the post-war world. That's a little more usable in that sense than, say, perhaps something that happened during the rise of the Roman Republic. It seems more usable today, so therefore it might be more at at people's forefront of people's minds. But that can change. To kind of give you an example of that. You know, uh, December 7th, 1941, the Japanese surprise attack on Pearl Harbor that brings the United States into World War II. Seen forever, and including when I grew up, as one of the most important events to study in school. And everybody knew it was important because of what happened back in 1941. The United States went into the Second World War. Fast forward to September 10th, 2001, and that same narrative is in place. That same narrative. But then on September 11th, 2001, a surprise attack on American soil. Suddenly, the next day, September 12th, everybody was talking about Pearl Harbor again with a different set of contextual meanings where the event itself hadn't changed. The importance of that event back in 1941 hadn't changed. But it started to inform the conversation in 2001 about what to do next. In 1941, the United States responded to the attack on Pearl Harbor by declaring war on Japan and eventually taking the war to Japan itself, literally. And it informed the larger conversation about the United States going to war in Afghanistan to take the war to Al-Qaeda, in this case. It was a larger part of that discussion. And when people were searching for meaning and precedence, 
and context for what had happened, both to understand the event itself, September 11th, better, but also to make some sort of sense of it, to find some direction, to find some purpose, to find that what next answer. They looked to history. We do that all the time. We do it with national events, elections. We do it with, in our personal lives, when we reflect back on perhaps our relationship history and say, I kind of made those same mistakes all this time, but then this new thing happened with this new person. And it reminds me, reminded me of this, or I look at this uh, experience in a new way. And so in that sense, this is where I think when we talk about history overall and our personal history, this is where that idea of this being a larger conversation is most important. People tend to, and I see it all the time in the media, on social media and conversations today, people have discussions about history where they entrench on some certain version of some certain story. And then in any conversation they're having about it, they're battling out over somebody who disagrees with them on that event or that issue or that person. And so often what happens is, I think, we have a reflection in how we talk about history and we talk about the historical past, a reflection of how we approach ourselves in all of this. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. If history is a discussion about the meaning at the time and since about facts and all of that, the facts themselves are not in dispute usually. There might be new facts that get added in to, you know, elaborate the larger story. But more often than not, it's usually about the meaning of them. And one of them I just, just explained. Uh, another example could be one, one that is in everyone's consciousness right now. Over the weekend uh, were commemorations, the 100th anniversary uh, commemorations of the Tulsa Race Massacre. And, and of course, there was stuff everywhere uh, all about it. And I was out to dinner on Saturday night uh, with a friend of mine. And he asked me, J.D., how come we never learned about that in school? And I didn't learn about it either in school. And I told him that. I said, I didn't learn about it in school. I didn't, I didn't really hear about it until I was well into grad school. And this was what I said to him. Academics have been talking about the Tulsa race massacre for decades. So at the highest levels, academia, people writing, writing specialized books and doing research, discussions about the Tulsa race massacre have been going on for a really, really long time. Uh, now, certainly not for 100 years, at least among professional historians. It's, it's been a little bit less than that. But what's happened is what often happens in history is several things. One, more evidence was uncovered. A few years ago, a mass grave was found outside of Tulsa that gave evidence to those who had said it was not just a few dozen people who were killed. It was hundreds of people that were killed. That was proof positive that that was a fact. And what that did was it clarified some main points of the debate because a lot of the debate about the Tulsa race massacre, at least among some historians or public commentators wanting to say this is much more important than you're making it out to be, was the death toll. It's an unfortunate reality sometimes, but we sometimes tend to assess the seriousness of a certain situation by how many people died in it. And that makes sense to a certain level, but the horror of the Tulsa race massacre was going to be equally horrific if 22 people died or 200 people died. It was indicative of the same type of racism 
same type of violence, the same type of hatred, no matter how many people died. That's my point. But what happened is that new evidence supercharged that debate. And in the context of the last five years or so, and all the national confrontations that have been happening around race, it brought all those things to the forefront. Add to that that most school textbooks that are put together for history are decided on a state-by-state level in conjunction with companies that build these textbooks. And you're going to have different debates in states like Texas, for example, where there have been a lot of debates about what goes into textbooks, as opposed to a state where there isn't as much debate somewhere else. And so because of that, there can be this big divide between what academics are talking about and what they understand to be in history and what the general public will pick up on as history or will learn about as history. I had the same thing asked to me when I was teaching classes on modern Russia and the Cold War when I was a university professor. I'd have students come up to me after lectures about Stalin and the Gulag and the terror famine in the Ukraine uh, after World War I, and they would say to me, why didn't we learn about any of this? My answer to that was, well, until the fall of the Soviet Union, there wasn't as much on these events as there was beforehand. That's part of it. And so there's always more to learn on these things. And so, for example, to take that into a discussion of ourselves, um, for me, in my own personal history and in my own personal growth, uh, there have been things, new evidence that I have uncovered over the years, thanks to things like therapy and, you know, good and poor life decisions and life choices that have revealed more to me about elements of my past. And I know, you know, I know, for example, that when I was a kid, I was bullied extensively in kindergarten. And I've always known that that was a very uh, fundamentally shaping event, series of events for me as a kid. How I have understood that meaning over time, however, has changed. Another example, and longtime listeners and readers of my work know that uh, about 10 years ago, uh, my life changed fundamentally, and I used to call it, I blew up my life. <laughs> and it was pretty spectacular. Uh, and, and I had to confront things like addiction and, and things like that in the aftermath of that. But I talked about that lesson for a long time as I blew up my life. I blew up my life, I blew up my life. And it was only really recently, in the last year or so, when through a lot of discussions, a lot of work uh, in therapy and elsewhere, I realized that the 10 years since then have provided me so many opportunities and so much growth and so many changes in my life in a positive way that me framing it as blowing up my life is no longer relevant <laughs> and no longer reflective of the reality of my life today. Same event from 10 years ago, but the meaning of it, at least to me today, changes. And that happens in how we understand history based on historical events and what goes on in the present. And what I'm suggesting is we can do the same thing in our personal lives. Because here's one of the fundamental connections, I think, between history, kind of at the national level, and how we deal with our personal histories. The facts of history are simply the facts, the truth of it. Here is what happened. <laughs> here is what led up to these things. Here are some of the effects of these things. And then the messiness, the debate, is then the meaning of it all and what to do with it. But what we do with it is up to us. 
if we decide that something in our personal lives means that our lives are a catastrophe, we're the ones defining that. It's not somebody else necessarily defining that. And it's not the facts themselves defining that. The same thing in taking a look in history. If we take a look at a historical event and say this was the worst historical event in the history of the country, or this person was the best of such and such in the in history of the country. You have to have evidence for that. But also, those opinions might change over time. Before Abraham Lincoln was elected president, people were talking about George Washington as the greatest president in the history of the country. Some still consider him that. Most consider Lincoln because of that. So things change like that. And what I'm suggesting is not that history itself is malleable, right, where we can just make up events or leave things out. No, can't do that. History itself has to be presented as it happened to the best of our ability as comprehensively as possible so that we can use that as the basis for discussions. What I am suggesting is the meaning that we make out of it has to be based on the truth of what happened but then it forces us to confront what is it that really matters to us when we start making our meaning out of it. And the last example I'll use on this, for example, would be uh, the so-called lost cause myth uh, that really took root in the South after the Civil War. The idea uh, of the lost cause was that the South was not fighting for slavery during the Civil War, but it was fighting for states' rights or to protect its own cultural values or whatever. This myth built up over time successfully and took root in the American South, in part because Reconstruction ended too early after the war was over. And, of course, states in the South increasingly pushed through Jim Crow laws that excluded blacks from public life and essentially returned them to pretty much a step right above slavery for a number of years. And that lost cause myth led many people in the years after the Civil War to do things like put up monuments of Civil War heroes in towns all over the South. And those have been getting a lot of attention the last few years. That myth, of course, becomes so widely embraced that if you were to put people who embrace the lost cause myth on a lie detector test and ask them questions about the history of the South, they would pass it because they believe so thoroughly in that their myth is fact that there is no distinction in their mind. The challenge, of course, and the problem that you run into that, besides that it is not factually correct. <laughs> the war was fought over slavery. The South was fighting to preserve slavery. There's plenty of evidence of that. But the bigger issue is that people who embrace that myth, it raises the question as to what are they afraid of with the truth? Because the truth of something can exist and not be threatening to our national story and in our personal story. We can have an ugly past in our families or in friends or have had traumatic experiences. And those do not have to define us negatively for the rest of our lives because they happen to be negative events. The heroes that we have in history do not have to be, I would suggest, perfect people. Unless we ourselves are demanding perfection of ourselves, we should be willing to allow the people that we look at in history as important to be flawed, to be contradictory, to be paradoxical, to be all the things that we are. 
And that doesn't mean that the people who have done horrible things should be exonerated because of that, because they're just human. That's my whole point about deciding what really matters. If what really matters in our personal lives or in our history is to understand the truth of what happened and then build something positive in our personal lives and in our collective lives and our national lives about it, we can make those choices. We can choose to do that. History itself, personal or national, does not dictate how we have to be today. We can experience the importance of that today and continually have the lessons of it change over time as we each grow more, as, our, as we grow together more. It can inform our public debates. So much about history these days when it's talked about in the public sphere is about or. Well, it's this or that. He was either evil or great. And so often, at least in my life, everything with me is and. <laughs> you know, I am this and I'm also this. There are things about me that I don't like. There are things about me that I do. I continue to work on the former by building on the latter. Those things can be done. And so what we're going to be talking about this, this month as we talk about history is how this fits together. Why do we choose the stories that we choose? Why do we choose to give them the interpretations that we give them, either in how we understand our nation's history and our own identity in that history, and how we identify our own stories and what we do with them? Because I strongly believe the two are very, very closely related. An ability to take an honest look at the truth of history and apply it on a national level or apply it at a perspective level. If you can do that, you can probably do the same in our personal lives and vice versa. We can be honest with ourselves about our own stories and realize that we have the power to give them meaning that is honest and truthful on the basis of the facts and productive. We can do that in our own lives. We certainly can follow the same course in our historical discussions and that understanding. Okay. I gave you a lot to chew on between now and next week. And if you have any questions on any of that, please reach out to me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com, or on my uh, social media feeds, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Would love to hear from you. Would love to hear your perspectives on this. Uh, and I can even bring some of them on the air next week. So uh, thanks for spending some time with me today on this show is all about you. I'm your host, JDK Winnikin. And until I see you next week, chins up, everyone. Thank you.